Open your Bibles to a pair of readings. First from the letter to the Romans, we read from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And then we'll turn to the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 5, and read there as well. We read this in connection with our text from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 23, where we consider our righteousness. First then, from the letter to the Romans, beloved, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thus far, reading from the letter to the Romans, we turn then to read from the first letter of John, chapter 5. Beloved, the word of the Lord, once again, beginning at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Thus far, God's holy word. Beloved, let us now sing together in preparation for this afternoon's sermon. From Psalm 114 for this afternoon's sermon comes from Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You might find this on page 537 if you have a book of praise. Beloved, there we confess as a faithful summary of God's word. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? In Christ, I am righteous before God, an heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me, as if I had nor never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered to me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. This, beloved, we confess.
Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's fair to say that righteousness has become something of a church word. In everyday conversations, we simply don't hear people talk about other people or things as being righteous or as embodying righteousness. And when we do hear the word righteous outside of church or Bible studies or such venues, it's often being used in a negative sense, such as when someone is described as being self-righteous. So for the most part, being righteous or possessing righteousness is something we only hear from pulpits or during Bible studies or read in Christian literature. And so before we hear about our righteousness in this afternoon's sermon, we need to be clear what we are talking about. Righteous does not merely mean something like good or nice. The Hebrew word that is generally translated as righteous in our Bible, it points to someone being just and lawful. And the Greek word you find in the New Testament for righteous points to someone being upright, faultless, or innocent. See, basically, you need to understand, when the Bible talks about someone being righteous, it's talking about people living in perfect agreement with the will of God. A truly righteous person is someone who isn't guilty of breaking any of God's law and isn't stained in any way by sin. See, a righteous person is a morally perfect person. Now, if we look at ourselves objectively or critically and consider the things that we have done or thought in our lifetimes... I think we can come to the pretty swift conclusion that calling ourselves righteous would seem to be out of the question. But the good news of the gospel, beloved, is that we can be righteous. We can be considered blameless of all sin and wrongdoing before God. But this is through the work of someone else. What we clearly see, beloved, in Holy Scripture is that we cannot be considered righteous because of the things we have done or the way that we have lived or our actions. But we can be righteous through the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because of the work of our triune God, it's possible for us to be Righteous, to be morally perfect. Beloved, I proclaim what God's word tells us about our righteousness. Using the Heidelberg Catechism as our guide and this theme, our righteousness depends upon the work of the triune God. We'll see first the one who recognizes this righteousness. Second, the one who imputes this righteousness. And third, the one who instills 
this righteousness. Question 59, which we just read, is reflecting back on all the articles of the Apostles' Creed, which the Catechism has just talked about in the previous numbers of Lord's Days. And it asks, but what does it help you now that you believe all this? What is the good of believing all the articles of the Christian faith? What's the real benefit of knowing these articles and believing them? Well, the real benefit, beloved, is huge. As answer 59 puts it, In Christ I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. This faith, in other words, what we believe, it unites us with Jesus Christ so that we might receive the greatest gifts imaginable. Through faith, we are righteous before God. We are seen by God as morally perfect. God no longer has anything to say against us. As Paul puts it in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it might be asked, in all fairness, how can we be considered righteous when it's obvious that we have sinned? Now, we continue to sin. We continue to do things which break God's law. Isn't it hypocritical to claim that we are righteous, to say that we're morally perfect, when we can still clearly see sins and weaknesses within ourselves? Why claim to be righteous when we still catch ourselves at times gossiping about others or envying the successes which others have enjoyed or find ourselves losing our tempers over the minor mistakes of our children or our spouses. In the first place, beloved, we need to recognize that this righteousness that we are talking about is something we have before God. It's a status we enjoy before the Father. Other people, it's true, may clearly remember our sins. They may continue to witness our ongoing struggles, our sins, our weaknesses. But as far as God the Father is concerned, our sins have been paid for, and He has forgotten all about them. You might compare it today to, say, receiving a a pardon or a record suspension, as it's now called in Canada. An event in which a a prior criminal record is is sealed away so that those previous actions don't count against you in your regular, everyday life. Only we might say that the the kinds of pardons which God grants are far more wide-ranging. See, if you were to get a pardon, beloved, for some crime you had previously committed, that would seal your criminal record away, but it wouldn't completely erase it. But when God declares that your sins will no longer count against you in his court, 
Those sins are completely eradicated from the presence of God. They are separated as far from Him as the east is from the west. We are to recognize in this that our righteousness is effectively a gift being granted by God the Father. He has graciously extended to humanity a means by which people can escape from the consequences of their sin and rebellion. Paul tells us in Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it isn't that the son snuck around behind his father's back or found some kind of legal loophole that would allow the son to save us from our sins. We have to realize that the fact that we can become righteous before God the Father is only an option because the Father has a love for his fallen humanity. A love which we are not truly worthy to receive. But the fact, beloved, that we can be righteous before God doesn't mean that we can live however we want. It doesn't mean that we are free to sin because those sins have been covered in the blood of Christ. It doesn't mean that we can be careless in how we live before God and our neighbors. And that is because that would demonstrate that we don't appreciate what God has done. The Apostle John states, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. See, it's not like the righteousness that we receive from God should cause us to go, God will forgive me for what I do wrong. So I don't really need to worry about whether or not I'm hurting the people who are around me. Their opinion doesn't really matter in the end. Now, the apostle reminds us everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. We are to understand that our love for our neighbors, our love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord, isn't our righteousness. It doesn't make up for the wrongs that we have done. But if we are grateful to God for what He does for us, if we are truly thankful for this righteous status that we receive, it is going to impact how we live towards all those around us. And this should also help us as we consider the ways our brothers and sisters in the Lord interact with us. Because we're reminded by this that our brothers and sisters in Christ aren't going to be perfect. We all have flaws. We all commit sins on account of that sinful nature which remains in us. And our righteousness before God doesn't necessarily make us easy to live with here on earth. If you look in the New Testament... You'll see plenty of opportunities where Jesus and the apostles had to admonish believers about how they were living with other believers. 
James, the brother of Jesus, warns us about showing favoritism to those who are rich. Paul warns us about not disciplining those who are engaged in sexual sin. He points out that we need to be addressing such things in the lives of others. The Apostle Peter reminds husbands and wives how they ought to treat one another in the Lord. See, our righteousness before God, it doesn't mean that we will always be righteous in how we treat one another. But it does set a standard that we are to be striving for. See, beloved, we all have a special bond with one another. We have all been adopted into the family of God because God no longer considered us rebels, but members of His holy people. And we can look forward to to living with God and with one another for all eternity because of that. The Christian faith is not simply this individualistic thing between you and God. It is something which draws believers into a larger whole into the body of Jesus Christ. In which we are called to serve and live for God's glory. And the upbuilding of the other members of the body. And as we strive to do that, as we struggle to do that, we are to find the, the motivation that we need by recognizing the gracious gift of righteousness that we have been given by our loving Father. How we live before God, how we live with one another, is to be a complete reflection of the fact that everything we have is by grace. This brings us to our second point, the one who imputes this righteousness. Now, it's a wonderful thing, beloved, to be declared righteous by God. But the question may still be asked, how are you? righteous before God. Why is it that God is willing to ignore our sins? Why is he willing to consider us blameless before the perfect standards of his law? Well, as answer 60 notes, this is something which happens only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Requires a sure knowledge and a a firm confidence in all that God has promised. And the most critical part of what God has promised is as follows. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments. I've never kept any of them. And am still inclined to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even though we have been, and we continue to be, imperfect creatures, fallen human beings, God sent His Son to give us everything we need to be pure and holy in His sight. As the Apostle Paul puts it, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And as he writes further on, for if while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Christ died for us. He performed the ultimate righteous act by giving up His life for people who do not deserve it. As we read, we have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We were and are unable to live according to God's perfect standards through our own strength alone. We'll never achieve it. We'd never carry it out. And so Christ came. He lived according to those standards. And having done that, He now unites us to Himself. He establishes an unbreakable bond between us so that we don't simply believe in Jesus Christ. We are united with Him. We are to be found in Him. We are so closely linked to our Savior that God the Father treats us as if we were one with the Son. The Father considers the perfect sacrifice which the Son made. The moral perfection with which Christ lived His life. The manner in which He lived, or in the manner in which He lived, free from sin to the glory of the Father. And then the Father treats us as if we ourselves had done all of that. As the Catechism puts it, He grants these to me as if I had never, or as if I had never had, nor committed any sin. And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered to me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. See, God, He doesn't just wipe the slate clean because of what Jesus Christ did. He sees us as people who have done what Christ did. He sees us as people who fully share in all that Jesus Christ has done. This is why Paul writes to the Corinthians, because of Him, God the Father, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And for this reason, beloved, because of the fact that we must be in Christ and fully share with Him and be united with Him, it is for this reason that it is not enough for people today to say have a generic belief in God. No, the Bible stresses over and over again the need to believe, every one of us, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior who takes away the sin of the world. We need to believe in Him specifically and have faith in Him because we need His perfect obedience to stand in place of our own. The Apostle John writes, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And again, whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We need the Son because none of us could ever stand before the judgment seat of a holy God on our own. We'd be wiped away in an instant in the pure majesty of His glory. We all need to be one with Jesus Christ. The only one who has truly been perfect. It's been said, beloved, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. In several ways, it's not a great metaphor. Uh, Generally speaking, a hospital is a place that you only go to from time to time. Generally speaking, you don't really want to be there. But in calling the church a hospital for sinners, we might be reminded of the fact that we don't attend worship services. We don't join a church congregation and serve one another and live together with one another because we think that we're good enough to be here. That is a popular idea out in the world today, that we have only gathered here because we judge ourselves to be good people. No, we come here to worship the Lord on an ongoing basis, to learn about what He has done, because we recognize just how totally unworthy we are of God's favor. We come here to worship because we can't learn about what Jesus Christ has done for us by taking a nice Sunday walk. You might learn something about God's wisdom and power by gazing upon His creation, it's true. But you won't be learning about what is truly essential to your salvation, about what truly makes you right with God. And you won't just discover that in a moment of meditation or some fun time with the family. We come here, beloved, and we must keep coming here. Because we know that Jesus Christ died for us. He carried out his task and calling for the sake of numerous believers. And he wants us to be a part of those he died for. He wants us to love our family members care for them, be there for them. We are not alone in Christ. We are together in Christ. The satisfaction, the righteousness, the holiness which has been given to me is the same which has been given to you and to you and to you. We have been given in the Son of God common blessings. And we cannot ignore the bond that that has now created for us. This brings us to our third point, the one who instills this righteousness. Question 61 asks, why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? You need to understand that this question is concerned that we might get the wrong idea here. We might think it's our faith that makes us righteous. It worries the authors of the catechism that we might think that God declares us righteous because we have been wise enough or humble enough to believe. And in some ways, you might say it's understandable that that error might rise to our minds. 
We could read something like 1 John 5 verse 4 in isolation, where it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It kind of sounds like it's our, our faith which ultimately is then securing our salvation. It's our faith that makes us righteous. But answer 61 clarifies, not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. The point the catechism is trying to make is that our faith is not the thing which is eliminating our sins. It is not the thing which is allowing us to stand before a holy and just God. You might say, beloved, faith is like a treasure map. It leads us to the real treasure, but it isn't valuable in itself. Without the map, without faith, you'll never find the riches you want. You will never find Christ. Therefore, you might say the map is in some ways a, a wonderful thing. But only because it is leading us towards the thing of infinite value, which is Jesus Christ. Paul tells the believers in Rome, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Faith, beloved, it gives us access to the truly important thing, which is the work of Jesus Christ. If faith itself was the thing which justified us before God, there would have been no need for Christ to have come and died, risen from the grave. God could have simply saved all those who believed in him. But he sent his son to be our savior because faith itself is not what is freeing us from our sins. Our sins needed to be paid for. They needed to be covered, atoned for. They need to be washed away before we could be seen as righteous in Christ. Without faith, we can't benefit from the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we don't believe that Jesus died and rose again for our benefit, then we are opting to stand before the judgment seat of God on our own merits and have God judge us against the perfect standard of His law. And I don't know about you, beloved, but I am confident that I would fail on my own. Because of this, we need the Holy Spirit to do His work. We need the one who works faith in our hearts in the first place, who instills it deep in our souls. As Paul notes, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You might say, if faith is a treasure map, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us a copy of that map in the first place. He is the one who works in our hearts so that we come to have faith in the first place. Through the work of the third person of the Trinity, 
we come to believe that the second person of the Trinity is our Lord and Savior. And through that belief, we are united with Christ so that the first person of the Trinity, the Father, looks upon us in love just as He loves His Son. But we might also note that the Holy Spirit does even more than that. Because He doesn't just instill faith and then go away. He remains in us to continually renew and transform us. He dwells in our hearts constantly to spur us on so that we would not only be righteous in the sight of God, but that we might also increasingly learn to be righteous in the sight of men. He lives in us so that we become more and more like our God and our Savior. God doesn't just want to be able to declare us righteous. He wants us to be his righteous children every day to the best of our abilities. He wants us to act blamelessly, to live in accordance with his law, so that we might be encouraged that he is dwelling in us, and that we might also demonstrate to the entire world around us the Father's love and the Father's power. The church, as it's found on earth, beloved, is not full of perfect people. But it is full of people who are being perfected. And that ought to be making a significant impact on all those around us. We are to be paying attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to live in a righteous manner, even now. So that others might better realize that there is a righteous God in heaven. And he wants people everywhere to be joining his righteous family. Let us strive, beloved. Let us live and work with that righteousness in mind. Let us rejoice that we might be righteous in the sight of God because of all that Christ has done. And let us be living in step with the Holy Spirit who has given us that righteousness so that this righteousness is shining forth in everything we do to all those around us. Amen. Beloved, let us now 